So welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders, and thinkers. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Moffat. Uh, Sean, you're very welcome to the podcast. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself to our international audience today. So over to you, Sean. Simon, thanks for having me. I, uh, this is kind of like a first time, uh, long time listener, first time caller today, I guess. So I appreciate it. Um, for those that haven't detected my accent yet, uh, born, raised in Canada, many chances to leave our fair country, but uh, I just love being up here on the Tuke of North America. Um, I spend my time um, in a number of different ventures. I've kind of lived a life of learning key things every three years. So once I learn something, I embed it, hopefully I incorporate it in everything else and then kind of move on. And so I'm in my next three-year stint now where I'm very much focused on leaders and culture and uh, and the people aspect of my life um, and how I spend my time. Uh, I tend to spend it about three different ways, Simon. I spend my mainline fare, at least for the last four or five years, has been future-proofing, which is kind of an innovation and business model consultancy with a whole bunch of different flanges to it. And then there was this thing during the middle of the pandemic that we started up called the Gray Swan Guild. It started with about 40 people that said, my Lord, the sky is falling, but we're really good at this stuff, right? Strategy people, futures people, and 40 people became 400 people. And now 400 people have become 8,000 people. And so it's it's almost like the girlfriend of my life that continues to vie for more and more of my time on the side. So we may get into that discussion. And then 20% of my time, I just love sitting on boards, um, helping out um, the occasional startup that I buy into where they're going. And I like the person themselves. And so I spent a bit of my time bringing up a whole bunch of people much younger than myself now, Simon. Well, that's great. Thanks for the whistle-stop tour through uh, the world of Sean. Um, <laughs> and th there are three, uh, many facets to that, but there are three key things that, that stick out. We will come on to the Grace One Guild in a, in a moment or two. But just in terms of your investment or sitting on boards or working with companies, is there any particular uh, area of business that you tend to lean towards, Sean? Well, I mean, I spent 15 years in corporate life, Simon, and it took me that long to figure out, my Lord, um, not only do I not like working inside large companies and all of the politics and everything that goes with it, I just, you know, I love people that can do it. It's great. Uh, there are people meant for that. I am emotionally exhausted by managing the hallways in large companies. And so I think common to nearly everything that I do is probably two things. One, I'm very much focused on the future, right? I have many flaws, but one of the real things that I think I'm pretty good at is actually seeing, reading the tea leaves, seeing the forest through the trees, whatever kind of terminology you want to use, and actually not only see where the future is going, but be able to backcast to some action now. So I think that's that's common to nearly you know, every one of my uh, different pieces, and inherent in that is change, right? Don't don't ask me to come on your business and grow your business three percent by being somewhat better optimized. I'm looking to uh, God, you're Irish, so you're not going to get my baseball metaphors, but I'll try it anyway. I'm I like to to hit doubles, triples, the occasional home runs. Uh, hitting a whole bunch of singles for me, I get no passion or kind of uh, joie de vivre out of uh, trying to do that. So I think just you know market change and change that's above my kind of can I pay attention to this threshold and understanding where the future is going and trying to backcast action now are two things common to nearly everything I do. Okay, I love that. So you really like to swing for the fences, right? So um, see, look, I I actually didn't know that you'd be able to grok to my baseball metaphor, but here you, you are. 
There you go. So listen, that sort of leads nicely into something you mentioned at the top, which was the future proofing work. So could you maybe unpack that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, uh, I find when people have a new argument to the world, they tend to rant too much about what the current condition is. I'm going to try to avoid that, but I will say it in one sentence. I think corporate innovation or, or large scale up innovation has punched way below its intended weight over the last 20 years. I think many of the tools that get used are very, very old. I, I find there's a lot of innovation theater, a lot of bloated centers of excellence and kind of people iterating ideas. And so for me, uh, one of my passions over the last decade has been, how do the best innovators in the world do it? Like really do it, not just talk about it, but actually affect action. I've interviewed a whole bunch of these people and I've codified a practice where what I found I don't know if you found this too, Simon, because I know you play in the innovation space too, is people are really good at the idea stuff like that, that middle end, middle front end type of stuff are great. But when you try to do innovation inside a company of 1500, 15,000, 150,000 people, there are so many more considerations than just that. It's, you know, who's your team and do you even have the legitimacy to actually try to launch this inside your company? So do you have executive sponsorship and a whole bunch of things like that? And on the back end, you know, we, we have to launch these things into a marketplace that hopefully accepts them. And then when they get traction, you got to fuel that traction as well. And I find if I took 100 innovation books and I threw them up on a wall, I probably think about 95 of them don't deal with either the real front end aspects or the real back end aspects that tend to either, you know, make or break an innovation. So I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is the operating system in real life for how innovators do well in the marketplace. Yeah, I love that. And um, I suppose the uh, you mentioned a phrase earlier, you know, you you can become exhausted trying to manage the hallways. And there's a little bit of there's a little bit about that, isn't there? And particularly in large corporate enterprises where uh, I I, off, I I heard a phrase a long time ago which was products don't get launched, they escape, you know? Uh, they have to sort of find yeah. their way out because it is tricky navigating not just the, the external client requirements, the internal development work, but just navigating through this machinery uh, can be a challenge for lots for lots of different reasons. And I think there's um, been this erroneous response at times. I find this a lot with um, current spaces like Metaverse right now, where you, you all of a sudden don't know a lot. You're trying to get traction. Maybe somebody really does have good intentions. And so they anoint somebody called a chief metaverse officer, or for a good decade, there was chief innovation officers, which I think your job, if you had a job inside the company as a chief innovation officer, it was to put yourself out of business in two years, right? It was, how do I do a good enough change agent job to get everybody else in the business around me drinking what I'm drinking? And um and unfortunately, a lot of times those people end up failing because the mission is too wide. Uh, and so certainly I I speak, to, I, I certainly accept your point that managing the hallway and having innovation escape is oftentimes a reality of, of innovation groups. I have at least some faith in both future and change agents that, you know, I think if you have good executive sponsorship, that can go a long, long way because your front your front lines already know whether or not you're broken or not. It's just a question of whether or not your executives are willing to actually, you know, understand that. And I think, you know, I've had real debates with people in terms of sometimes you can build really good edge organizations inside companies. So you don't have to have the whole Borg switch to your point of view. But if you can convince 20 percent of them, 
well, maybe there you've got something. So there's there's two kind of realities that go beyond just serendipity in terms of having corporate innovation work. Yeah, uh, I think that's great insight, Sean. And let's go back to the Grey Swan Guild because we've mentioned it a couple of times now. And uh, you used the, uh, the line, you know, the sky was falling in. So back to the pandemic time. But the Grey Swan Guild has really grown into this, not that it wasn't from day one, but it's a real meaningful community. So could you maybe get into the detail of the Grey Swan Guild, maybe for some of our international audience that aren't familiar with it? Yeah, and we are in about 95 different countries. So it's it's a truly global enterprise. Like I, I just, you know, I've, I'm really privileged in the fact that I run it because I've been able to meet so many people during this pandemic that I probably wouldn't have normally met, right? Like, how do I find people in Bhutan that want to join a collective of people that want to make sense of the world? Well, here's my vessel called the Grace Swan Guild. Um, so I'll keep it very high level because there's so many different things we actually have these monthly events called regattas that bring our new members in and even after an hour they go whoa that's a lot of stuff um we have a single-minded mission of the gray swan guild uh we want to make sense of the world's biggest challenges and next gray swans and you might have some of your listeners might have heard of black swans before right these clearly events that happen out of nowhere no one expected them nor could you predict them and we go, well, that's really self-defeatist because yes, those exist. I'm sure if a meteor hit us tomorrow, we might not know it's coming. But really my interest is gray swans, like those improbable events that although improbable would have high impact, either opportunity or challenges for people. And because you can play with them, you can validate with them, you can actually spend time with them. And so a lot of time in our guild, we spend figuring out where the pandemic's going next door. You know, this month we're having a lot of conversations around chat GPT, and what are the ethics behind it? And uh, how do you use it to just be a productive executive? And so a lot of really cool discussions on something that has just kind of crested in terms of everybody's consciousness level. But yeah, we have a lot of content. We do about 80 events a year. And um, we've just launched about 10 different ventures that you know I get really jazzed about. Can we build stuff of value? And it doesn't have to be commercial value. It has a whole bunch of things. So we've launched a book and we've launched a consultancy and a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, and I've been to a few of the, the Grey Swan Guild um, discussions and I was taken aback at the sheer depth and breadth of the discussions taking place. I mean, for people that may may not be aware of it, this isn't like we're just touching on one area here you really get into the nitty gritty on these topics with, with a lot of experts. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to include you in that cadre of experts as well this year, somehow, some way I'm going to get you involved in one of our sessions, Simon, because I know you think, uh, think broadly on things as well. I find in, uh, and I've just written this as part of the book, so I'll, I'll repeat it. I guess in times of major uncertainty, it's crucial that you dance across disciplines. Like it's it's great. The specialist is great. But when you have big sideswipes to your worlds, your societies, your companies, you need people that can actually postulate and look at, okay, I know I'm a marketer, but how is that going to affect my world and technology or people or you know whatever else? And so a lot of what our guild does is bring people together that wouldn't normally actually hang out together and say, look, Here's a common brief, a common challenge. Um, let's spend an hour, two hours together and actually see our different perspectives, how they wrestle it to the ground. Yeah, and there must be tremendous insights coming out of this, Sean. So how, what are you doing with that data? Like, How does that materialize itself in the real world? 
Well, selfishly, I, I participate in most of it. So selfishly, I think, you know, you don't realize it, but then you start bringing up quotes and stuff in conversation, you realize, oh my God, I am completely spitting out what I just learned in my own guild the other day. Um, uh, from a, how do we try to impact the world? Uh, this year alone, we'll probably do about nine different reports. So we make them freely available to our members and then we charge um, something to people outside of our world. Um, that's one way. I think another way is we have different types of forms and different types of events where we actually, we call them premieres, where we actually reveal this newly enlightened information to our audience and, and try to have a discussion on them as well. And so uh, this year, you've stumbled onto the podcast arena as well. We'll probably end up uh, launching two or three different podcasts this year for the various different kind of endeavors that we're into. So look, I, I want to uh, change gear a little bit. Uh, and I want to ask you about the uh, learning style that you have as an individual. And I like to ask that guests, you know, do they read books? Are they audio book people? Are they just searching the internet? Do they prefer talking to people? Maybe mm. through the guild type activities, but how do you onboard information and what kind of things do you like to read or watch or listen to? It's a great question. I, uh, I don't think I get asked this enough, so I, I'll stutter through it, but I think um, I love books. Uh, and it's funny, I used to be part of the McGraw-Hill stable of authors, and they used to send me six books every month. My challenge is uh, I like to get to the the heart of the argument really quickly. And so I don't know how many times I've read the first two chapters of Sapiens, and I go, this is such a great book, but I get it. I, like the whole book is just the first two chapters. So I'm kind of lost on some of the nuance in the other 10 or 11 chapters. So truth be known, so I'm a real periodical magazine guy i love people that can actually distill down to like 12 pages kind of the the heart and the essence of something it's a real I almost put it on par it tends to be the weaker the weaker art so to speak in literary land but i almost feel it's on par with writing a book because it's um you know having that level of succinctness and punchiness is really tough so i love that when i approach a new topic simon one of the things i commonly do i'm a visual learner so as opposed to just going through Google search engine, I go through Google image engine because if somebody's being able to visualize whatever they're talking about really, really well, first of all, it's going to act as a shortcut for me. And secondly, having experienced this myself writing my book, um, it is 10 times the challenge of trying to visualize a concept than just write about it. And so... Uh, I find I'm a very visual learner. And the last thing I'd say is I'd love to go broad on a subject that I've just been exposed to. Um, in my home right now, I have manila sheets, like these three foot by five foot sheets. And every time I jump on, I go, okay, that's a quadrant of thinking over there. And that's a quadrant. And all of a sudden you end up losing, losing more and more space. And so I couldn't do that on an eight and a half by 11 sheet, nor could I do it at least with our current technology. And so I'm a big... Let's learn what the landscape looks like before actually pointing and going, here's my interest area. All right. I've geeked out enough on that. So uh, hopefully that Love imparts that. Yeah. Some learning. Love that. And you mentioned McGraw-Hill earlier and you mentioned the book. So tell us a little bit about the book. Well, I wrote a book 10 years ago and it was funny. Don Tapscott, who was a bit of my mentor at the time, um, said, hey, would you love to write a book? And I'm from the business world. I'm like, like I, I write one page memos and hopefully people accept those things. This year, I've decided to jump back in full force again. We've got a book from the Guild that's coming out this spring called Uncertainty. And so we're mapping 40 different authors' views on what uncertainty looks like in a playbook for things ahead. 
And then come the fall, I am uh, I'm launching kind of my five-year odyssey of this book called Future Proofing, where I am actually trying to change the whole idea of a book. Because a book tends to be one of these things that you read front to back. It's a static thing. You go to that book, you leave it there. Hopefully, if it's great, you put it on your desk and you have like little pockmarked edges on it. For me, it's like, how do I take this book and you can get into the book wherever you feel you need to? And how do I do it in a way that there's a whole bunch of interactive content and collaborative content that people can actually continue the conversation beyond the published date of the book? And so um, it's taken a lot of time, but certainly it's going to be rewarding when it gets out because I feel um, there's going to be just an annuity of value that keeps on coming back from people that contribute to it. Sounds fascinating. I shall keep a, keep an eye out for those, Sean. Uh, and uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you throughout your your journey, whether it's back to your corporate days, or whether it's back to your childhood, or something that happened to you, uh, you know, a number of days ago, you must have had people that have really inspired you, or people that you admired along the way, uh, or maybe it's a, a particular character trait. But when I throw that question at you, what springs to mind? Yeah. Um... It's funny, this week I've had like three or four close people die uh, in my world. I guess I'm I'm getting to that point in the generation where it's like, ooh, uh, you look around left and right and it's like, oh, some of my peers are, um, are falling off early. But um, my dad died five years ago and it's really good when you have probably the most formative influence in your life also be kind of almost your hero. And so certainly my dad, um, we lived an interesting existence. He had immigrated from Ireland, um, came to Canada in the late 50s. And it, it may only be 60 years ago, but the opportunities for Irish people in Canada, there was, st there was still a bias. It was, a, you know, Canada was pretty much a uh, certain society that didn't like different uh, types of people that didn't exactly look like their background. And so I just had this remarkable reverence for a man who, uh, you know, had to take a few jobs well beneath his, his lot in life um, and then work his ass off in terms of just uh, whatever he, he got for both himself and his family. Um, towards the end of his career, this was a point in time where you could actually carry over vacation year to year. He had about two years of vacation time that was, had to be paid out to him at the end of his career because he was just so committed to his work. And I think I've lost some of that. I think I appreciate some of the other things uh, in life, you know, family, um, kind of travel, luxury, re recreation. But you know, I don't think Tim Ferriss has done us any help here by looking at us and saying, yes, the four hour work week is possible, because I think there's some innate wonder of if you work hard on something, you'll get more opportunity, but you'll also get this intrinsic sense of, oh, my God, I did something. And I think I get a lot of that from some of the people I read, but certainly my dad would have been one of those formative influences as well. Simon. I love that story. Thanks for sharing that with us, Sean. Um... And what about when it comes to advice? Um, has there been any advice along the way that you've taken to heart that still stays with you today? Or do you find yourself imparting a particular piece of advice to others that you think is really important? Uh, another great question. Um, I think learn something every day. I had an early manager that used to go around all of her cubicles around 5.30 every day. And you had to have your learning. If you didn't have your learning, there's a bit of a talking to. And so I got into the habit of not only thinking about it, but also writing it down. I think the process of writing down your learning really helps. Um, and I've just posted something on LinkedIn. It's a, a bit different for me now in, in this Zoom world or whatever, but um, the, the advice early in my career was lunch is a horrible meal to waste. And I think the implication was 
You got time on your hands, go meet people, go network with people, go get outside of your comfort zone, learn something, actually build out your network. And I think nowadays uh, I'm more in the, I dedicate a huge chunk of my Thursdays now to actually come across people that whether you have value for me now, later, or no value at all, but if there's just some value in the conversation, uh, I spend most of my Thursdays talking to people I've probably not talked to either in a long while or not at all. I really like that. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, as you look ahead and you think about the next six, 12 months, obviously you've got a, a couple of books coming, which is going to take up some time. You've got the continued growth of the uh, uh, Grey Swan Guild and all the other things that you're involved in. But what's taking up your mental capacity? What are you actually focused on at the moment? What are you thinking about? And what do you hope to achieve over the next year, Sean? Yeah. And, and this is a great time of year to ask me this because I, I used to be a huge resolutions guy, right? I'd have color-coded things with 30 resolutions on them. And inevitably by March, you get to that disappointment of, oh my God, I can't keep all these plates up in the air. And so I've really settled on a couple of different things that I know I'm going to do, but really it, uh, I wanted to come up with a synthesis of all the things that I want to do this year. And I think I'm really good at starting things. I'm an initiator. And so I think in 2022, my word would have been foundation. I created some foundations for things that I know are springboards to value. Um, this year, it's all about finishing, right? I am, uh, you know, I'm trying to use soccer parlance here. I'm that striker that comes on in the 85th minute. Maybe that's better, Simon, than my baseball uh, kind of metaphor here. But I really need to focus on not starting new stuff, but making sure whether it's two books crossing the finish line, whether it's cementing a few different client relationships, um, just what is the next three years look like for me? And do I start finishing stage one of a lot of uh, different things on the, that front? Yeah, it, it's often when I talk to people who are both very business orientated, but also very creative in their thinking, it can be a challenge because you can always come up with the next idea and the next thing and the next thing. But that finishing, and you mentioned a great word there, foundation, it, it's not that you've sort of half launched something. I mean, you have really solid foundations in place that have scaled already. But I think focusing on finishing a few things too, because I, I don't know about you, Sean, but, but from my perspective, there's only so many things that a human can actually do at any one moment in time. Now, you can have great people around you. You can have processes that help you scale. But ultimately, at some point, you've got to decide what are you going to focus on, I think. Well, and I love what you added there too, right? Because I mean, you know, sometimes there feels like there's this big sacrifice, that thing that I'm not doing now because I'm trying to finish. Uh, ooh, there's this sense of loss and regret. And one of the things I'm trying to um, build a lot more capacity for is bringing other people into my orbit that are motivated to do stuff, uh, you know, optically, or maybe from a pedigree might not have the the same juice for the subject that I have. But, um, you know, the alternative is not doing it. And so I'm trying to uh, build a trust circle of people that can come in and actually, you know, do some of that work and take it on as their own, not just my my world, but like whatever you want to do with it, make it great and, uh, and providing those platforms for tends to be younger people, um, which is great um, for me as well. That's great. And uh, I suppose the last thing, because uh, I don't want to run out of time, but is there anything else that you want to touch on that maybe I haven't asked you or any other area that you want to share with our audience? And plus, if people want to find out more about the books or the work that you do or the Grey Swan Guild, 
where's the best place to send people to Sean? Uh, all right. Well, we'll do that in reverse order. I think um, certainly go to graceswangill.org and uh, it's websites are always like you are your own cobbler's children, right? They're probably not the best representation of what we're doing exactly right now, but it's a pretty good representation. Certainly go there. We'd love to see you at our monthly onboarding regattas where we bring in new members. It's available to anybody. It's free to join. And um, like I said, we do about 80 events a year and you get some privileged access to some things. So, so that's one thing. Futureproofingnext.com would be kind of my corporate shingle. So certainly go there. It's chock full of interesting stuff. And uh, I'm uh, going to reach out to a lot of people this year in terms of uh, the pre-party to the, uh, the launch fest. Uh, and so Simon, my hope is I'll, uh, I'll corral you at some point into some of those different forms. And the funny thing is, I did all this research because I thought to myself, he's going to ask me about books. He's going to ask me, what are the books that I'm reading? What do I love? And he hadn't asked me that yet. So I'm going to have to at least throw you a few things here. Uh, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Any book by Gladwell. But, you know, it's funny. I actually talked to Gladwell about The Tipping Point. So uh, that was a formative, formative book in my life. Um, anything by Daniel Pink, but in, uh, particularly A Whole New Mind. Um uh the heath brothers uh made to stick and um i'm reading one right now it's probably not as popular for some of your uh, uh, folks that are listening but raymond vuelings have come out with uh he's come out with something called not invented here and it uh when i think about the new idea of how to produce a book it's just so design friendly and it's so hand holdable and it's so it sits on the corner i wish i had it here it used to sit on the corner of my desk i don't know who stole it but um it's just a really really good book on being a great innovator so those are those are five of mine well i really appreciate you sharing those because from malcolm gladwell and his ten thousand hours through to the not invented here that's a good mix um but look sean i think that brings us nicely uh, to the end of this episode it's been great to catch up with you again my friend uh, so thank you to sean thank you for everybody who's watched or listened to this episode of the global discussion make sure you like follow subscribe do all the things that we need you to do to help support the podcast and i hope to see you back here for more discussions with creatives leaders and thinkers thank you sean it's been a pleasure thanks Sam. 